Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. So then you have the division of these nations with the other gods over them. And then you have, you know, them trying to corrupt Israel. And then you got the holy wars against the Nephilim-infested tribes, which after Joshua died, they kind of lost their steam and stopped trying to kick butt against these, uh, these giant tribes. And then lo and behold, no surprise, they start worshiping their gods because they let them live. And it's just a snare, and then it's, yeah, and then, so that's, again, reversing Hermon, that's what Mike's book is about, is when Jesus came, it isn't just to remedy the fall in the garden and give humanity a way to be saved, but it's also to reverse uh, the damage of this Mount Hermon event. It's incredible to see how one patriarch, one father the sin ripple ripple effects to you know nations of millions that become you know huge forces of evil on the earth Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. This week, we're going to wrap up reviewing Blurry Creatures Episode 11 with Dr. Judd Burton, and we're going to go over the significance of the Mount Hermon event in Genesis chapter 6, according to the book of Enoch, and we're going to discuss Jesus' transfiguration and the gates of hell that he references at the very same place, Mount Hermon. Yeah, so picking up kind of where we left off last time, because um, there's a lot in this episode, and uh, I have to uh, correct myself from last time. I don't know if you guys caught it if you listened to the recording, but... I called Dr. Judd Burton. I called him Judd Nelson. Is oh, that, right. Is that a actor or musician or something? Actor. Actor. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he was he was one of the Brat Pack uh, back in the eighties. Brat Pack from what show? From uh, like, oh, he was in like Breakfast Club and all those. Oh, 80s. totally. Like, um, yeah. Fast Times was he on? 
some he, of the. Yeah. I don't think he was. I don't think he was in Fast Times, oh. but he was. Uh, he was in like Saint Elmo's Fire and Breakfast Club, and um, he's done voice work with you know various, uh, you know, okay. movies and yeah. I mean, yeah, he's 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 a he's a famous name. Um, yeah, but. If, if you were to bring that up to the kids nowadays, they don't know who that is. Well, all. that's just so random that I would stick that name in there because that's not an actor that I have off, you know, if I'm going to list a bunch of mm-hmm. actors that I just know by name, that's not one of them. Even though I right. I had a sense that it was some some famous person. So yeah, so yeah in the intro, I call him Judd Nelson. Uh, yeah, so we got um, a lot more to get through, and hopefully we can do that today, but we'll see. So last time we were talking about, you know, um, the gap theory, pre-Adamic race, is that possible? Ruin and restoration, does the Bible leave room for all of that stuff? Uh, when did Satan fall, other angels? Um, but today I kind of want to get into the significance of Mount Hermon, because that's central to the Genesis 6 event, even though it isn't mentioned in Genesis that it was Mount Hermon. And then um, the book that I recommended to you guys from Ryan Peterson, Judgment of the Nephilim, uh, he gets into his view that he doesn't put a lot of stock in in some of the things that the book of Enoch says, at least that we can bank on it like scripture, which is fair because it's not canon. But um, his view is that it's more likely the Jordan River is where uh, the Watcher Angels came down and and, and married women. So, um, but kind of leading into that, one of the things that um, Dr. Judd briefly talked on in the episode. So this again was Blurry Creatures episode eleven was the, was the first time that uh, Dr. Judd was on the show, and they were talking about a little bit about the biblical canon and how that was formed. Um, because you know, a lot of people bring up the book of Enoch. Why isn't it canon? It should be canon. It is canon in the Ethiopian, uh, Orthodox church. I think it is. Um, and Mike Heiser's point is it really doesn't matter that if it's canon or not, because it's an important book that, uh, biblical writers read, were familiar with, and it was referenced, but just real briefly, the background of you know our biblical canon i think you guys probably know this already right that it wasn't the council of nicaea that said this is our bible put a stamp on it but it was already these books were already used uh read thought of as authoritative and it it had principally to do with the authorship being a first hand or a second hand um, apostle or, you know, they, they were, they knew an apostle who knew Jesus or some very close proximity, right? And then the authorship having to, having like a close tie. Um, is there anything else you guys recall about canon? I don't know if you've ever looked into that, like how we, how we got the books of the Bible. For me, that's not fresh in my memory um, on on how that was formed. Uh, it's definitely something I probably should look into uh, and, and understand and know. Um, so, wasn't uh, the and we I think we said it last week. The King James sixteen eleven uh, was the first English translation. 
That sounds right. Is that was it not until then, Don? Does that that we actually had an English translation? It seems like a I'm long not time. completely. I'm not completely certain on that. You know, maybe I know, I know that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say maybe. I mean, we're so used to think of you know America as the center of the world and the West as being the dominant part of the world for so long in recent history, but maybe that's just that's just the way that the 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 dominant empires of the world were right english was obviously not the dominant language you know a thousand years ago or something so i guess that would make sense that it wouldn't be till 1611 well also there had to be the printing press before beforehand as well um because otherwise otherwise the monks would have to copy those things over one at a time um, but I'm not, I'm not sure if they ever translated into English, um, those types of things. There was, um, who, who was the guy that, well, it was Gutenberg that, um, I think did the printing press or invented the print, printing press. And, um, you know, that was kind of the beginning of, uh, people being able to disseminate. And then of course, um, that was fought against because, you know, the high church didn't want people reading uh, into the Bible. Yep. You know, takes because, the takes the power yeah. away from them, right? Right. Because now they're not the the arbiters and interpreters of 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 Scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so um, Brian Pearson gave me some things, some food for thought, because he does talk about some of the errors in Enoch, some of the uh, doctrines, I guess, that are are counter biblical. Some of the things I wonder if you could argue are are not even like unbiblical like they there are things that happen that you would say oh that's against the bible well they may just be describing something that happened not prescribing like i think there's some you know there's some divination or there's some praying to angels or different things like that so that may just be something recorded in enoch it's not necessarily saying that you should do these things just like in our bible there's a lot of things that happen that the Bible doesn't say go out, go out and do these things. It's just describing the event. Um, but again, it you know, Book of Enoch. It's a it's a it's a compilation of actually five books. Uh, it's not written by by Enoch. It's it's thought to to come from about the second or third century BC. And you know, it was found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, along with Book of Giants, which is fr- fragmentary. And some of these other apocryphal books, um, I don't know. To me, that speaks like it has some authority. Like it's not. It's not like you know. Oh wow, the Dead Sea Scrolls has got you know Enoch, and it's got uh, you know it's got the Book of Isaiah, and it's got Doctor Seuss. You know, it's like they didn't just like throw in something random in there like kids' stories. Like I think the ones that they put together in these uh, these jars they were in right are they're grouped together for a reason. You know, I think they kind of have some weight in that they were grouped together. But anyway, I didn't want to spend too much time on that, but uh, just just the background of we get this Mount Hermon event and Mike Heiser's book, you know, Reversing Hermon, is the idea of, of Jesus reversing the damage that the Watcher's sin did and how that corrupted humanity. You know, it comes from uh, the book of Enoch, because the Bible doesn't say that it happened there. Um, 
But just to read real quick from uh, Enoch. Um, so this is in chapter 6, which largely these chapters you know, follow very similar to Genesis, by the way. Um, so they said, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And Semihaza, which was their leader, said unto them, I fear ye will not agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us swear an oath and bind ourselves by mutual imprecations, not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual, mutual imprecations upon it. And they were in all two hundred who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. So that's key too. So that very name of the mountain, um, Dr. Judd says, uh, means oath. It's Mountain of the Oath. And so it's kind of like, um, like if you take an oath and you say, you know, if I don't, if I don't follow through on this, Don, may a thousand camels spit on my grave, you know. <laughs> No, it's like you're saying something bad's going to happen if I don't follow through on this. So what's cool, too, and we talked about this a few episodes ago. This is from um, uh, Doug Van Dorn's book, uh, Giant Sons of the Gods, is that uh, Mount Hermon is kind of a wordplay. So we talked about the the, the harem or karem, the the utter destruction of different tribes, right? Um, well, it's kind of a wordplay of the spelling in Hebrew. So Herman is K-H-R-M-N, and it's almost identical to the Cherem, which is K-H-R-M, which means anathema or the ban. So when, you know, Joshua is going on his holy wars and 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 following God's commands to, to deal with these uh, Nephilim-infested uh, groups. That was, you know, it, they were anathema. They were banned. They were not, not allowed to, to live. So we get that idea, again, from Herman that it's an oath, that it's a binding. That They're basically, um, you know, uh, cursing themselves. And then uh, Dr. Judd, uh, in the episode, calls it kind of patient zero as terms of how mountains were seen as the place of the gods. So we see that a lot with um, pyramids and ziggurats and temples, that they're kind of built in effigy to these to mountains as the place of the gods. Plus, I think it was the Lord that uh, commanded different Hebrew or Israelite leaders to tear down the high places. So they were uh, places of worship. They were places of um, where they did sacrifices to the pagan gods. Um, so it was literal mountains, and they were maybe built structures that were turned into high places that uh, – the judgment would fall on those when the Israelites would come in the name of Je Jehovah God because he was a jealous God. He wasn't going to put up with the, the mixture in the camp. So, yeah, so that's that's interesting use too. Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, uh, Luke on the on the Blurry Creatures uh, brings up that there were, um, I don't know if this was back in maybe Jesus' time that he's, that he's referring to this, but there were 30 Roman temples on Mount Hermon. Uh, there was a temple to Zeus, an altar to Baal, um, and then you had uh, uh, Peneus or Peneus at the base, uh, which gets into uh, Pan's cave or the gates of hell. So um, I looked up a little info on that. So um, it's more or less the the source of the River Jordan is right there at the at the base of uh, Mount Hermon. So this is in the Golan Heights at the foot of Mount Hermon. Um, in ancient times, Panaeus was an enormous spring, water emerging from a cave called Pan's Cave. Cave. So that's where we get the word panic. And the worship of Pan is he's all about fear and chaos. Um, and and again, caves are associated a lot with the underworld and kind of the entrance to hell. Um, so there's a stream there that kind of merges and forms the River Jordan. So that's where I kind of dropped that, that teaser last time is that uh, Ryan Peterson believes that it's more likely... Uh, the Jordan River is where uh, this Mount Hermon event would have happened, not Mount Hermon, but they're kind of connected. I mean, the source of, of the Jordan is right there at the base. So they may be, Enoch may be correct, and Brian's uh, theory might be correct. And I believe Nate or, Nate or Luke uh, had also brought up this uh, interesting fact. I didn't know, but there's a UN base on Mount Hermon. So that's kind of takes you down some conspiracy uh, thinking of like, what is the world type government have to do with Mount Hermon? Yeah. I think they know? called it a listening and, post or something like that. You know, almost like an NSA very, kind very, of thing. Very interesting. And uh, Dr. Thomas Horn had wrote a book and, and done some research on, uh, uh, the Vatican's Lucifer device that they that they put in a, on a mountain in Arizona, and it was a a, a holy place or a place that the Native Americans uh, considered sacred or a place where they felt the spiritual energy was se- it was sensitive to connect with this uh, the other realm. And it's interesting that the the Vatican kind of pushed themselves in there, and and they've got an observatory there with an acronym called Lucifer. Called Lucifer, <laughs> and it's in, it's like a infrared telescope or something like that. It yeah. picks it picks up things the naked looking, eye can't. Looking into the other worlds. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, I was just thinking of that. So that's awesome. You you recall that from Tom Horn. Um. Yeah, and then. Okay, so today there's a city called Baneus, which is so there's di- there's different names to that to that Peneus area. So um, in, in this article I found, they had a history of the different names. They called it Baal Gad, Baneus, Baneus, um, and then I guess. Uh, uh, Caesar had 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 conquered that area, and so he renamed it after him. So that's where in the Bible it's called Caesarea Philippi. Um, 
and then yeah eventually so okay so the cave was originally used for pagan worship and um yeah the half man half god half goat god of fright named pan is at the base and that's where we get the word panic and the name peneus so that was what jesus was referring to as the gates of hell um when he was at the base so we have uh, in the Great Confession, it's called, and the Transfiguration in the vicinity of that city, and the Transfiguration likely happening on Mount Hermon because it says in the scripture he goes up to a high mountain, and that would have been the most logical in proximity uh, mountain he would have gone to near Caesarea Philippi. So in Matthew 16, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And right after that, in Matthew 17, we have the transfiguration. Uh, after six days, Jesus took him with him Peter, James, and John, led them up to a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them, and his faith, face, sorry, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And I think there, I think the Bible even says whiter than any uh, any uh, cloth could be bleached. So it's it's reminiscent of um, of uh, Moses, right, coming down from the mountain, and he was he was radiating. So we talked a little bit about that idea, too, that maybe Adam and Eve originally had a, a radiance. We talked about angels, Lucifer having a radiance, that the, maybe there's something to do with the presence of God that that has that effect. And maybe that's why, you know, like Moses had to, had to hide behind the cleft of the rock because it would incinerate us. But then when we have our glorified bodies, then maybe we'll we'll have that and we'll be able to withstand God's presence. I don't know. That's kind of a random thought. but I was just thinking of this the other day um, and kind of the transfiguration or, or like what looking at God might be like. And um, I think it's something as simple as looking into the sun. I, I think, uh, and you know, with how far away that is even, um, and that would be probably a drop in the bucket compared to what it would be like to be around, um, you know, Christ. And I think that even during the transfiguration, um, uh, the disciples that were on the mountain were probably given a little bit of extra leeway to be able to be around a transfigured Christ. Um, that's just, yeah. And, and Peter also mentioned building tabernacles um, for each of the people that were there uh, for Moses, Elijah, and 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 Christ. Um, I don't I don't know why he said that. It might have just been something off the cuff, or maybe it was, or maybe it was something to do with um, you know covering 
covering their glory as oh, well. Interesting. I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I believe one of the Gospels um, puts it like Peter didn't didn't really know what to say. He was kind of like, he was out of his comfort zone. He's like, hey, it's good that everybody's here. Let's build some tents for us all, you know, and hang out. Um, it might have been Mark, but yeah, one of the Gospels kind of, kind of hints that uh he was a little taken aback and didn't know what to say and so instead of being silent he's like i'm gonna fill up the space with i'm gonna talk because i'm i'm anxious right now (laughs) that that actually makes way more sense and that's (laughs) that is coming to my mind now is it okay yes oh one thing one thing i wanted to bring up about mount herman and i saw this uh in an article i sent this over to you pete um and uh, I, I think I might have Luke's uh, email, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, so it basically talks about, um, it talked about the, uh, the radar listening post or whatever on top of Mount Hermon that the UN uh, runs. And it also talked about a whole bunch of specific numbers um, when it comes to the location of Mount Hermon versus the location of the equator, Paris Meridian, uh, Summit of Mount Sinai and uh, the Great Pyramid. And it was all like uh, 33 degrees, 33 degrees, 333 miles. And then it was 365 miles directly to the Great Pyramid in Egypt. Um, the, the 365 thrown in there kind of throws me off just a little bit because it's like, you know, it's like, you know, look at these numbers, 33, 333, 333, three, and then, you know, something that's not, in the in the threes like that so i just found that interesting i just found that kind of interesting as to um how that how that was looked at in in the uh the location yeah i think there's a lot of numerology in in occult stuff and especially like masonic right 33 is is the highest uh the highest order uh or rank in in masonic and um i forget if it was uh uh, Jed Payne's podcast or somewhere I was hearing about, you know, the origin of secret societies came from like Babylon mystery schools, like the mystery schools were. And then after that kind of, it, they turned into these secret societies, but which interestingly enough, if you've ever heard, you know, giving someone the third degree, like you're giving someone a hard time that comes from, from, uh, masonry when you get to the i've heard that when you get to the third degree which obviously that's pretty low compared to you know the 33 is the highest but when you get to the third degree they give you the third degree and they they give you all these questions you know you're you're kind of getting in deeper basically and they want to make sure they can trust you um or even uh i think even blackballed like if you you're blacklisted or something like that like there's something to do with that with masonry too what about uh fault lines or or just kind of locations around the globe where if it's certain things line up with other things that's what i was thinking of when don was was referencing those so there's I mean, you could look at a grid system. The Earth is a grid, or you know, the longitude, lat, longitude and latitude. Latitude. Talk. Yeah, latitude. Yeah. You know, so how how everything lines up, and it's 
I don't know how that all works, but maybe if you're trying, if, if multiple people are doing the same thing and they line up together on that grid, maybe there's more power that takes place. I, I don't yeah, know. There's got to be something to that because, um, you know, when it, when they, we were talking about like megaliths and things like that, like, or some of these, uh, these cities where these, um, like uh, Inca and Maya and, and some of these cities and where some of these megaliths are, are and, and the pyramids, yeah, they, they tend to have very specific locations in terms of both the astronomical, you know, constellations, but then also the, uh, like you said, the ley lines or the latitude-longitude. Um, so, yeah, I think there, I think there is a, a knowledge that we could probably say was passed down from the watchers initially that had to do with how the, the powers of the earth and, and the, the spirit world function. Um, so there's some mystery there for sure. One thing in that article that I, that I did send to you and it's uh, it's by a, by a person by the name of Louis B Vega. If you've ever heard of uh, him, he um, he kind of gets into studying uh, in the Book of Enoch and in the various uh, uh, the twenty watchers that were the ones that um, or what their specific tasks were and there's uh, like the first uh, first one was Samanja which taught the enchantments of root cuttings um, Azazel which is the name that I think we've all heard taught men to make swords knives shields breastplates fabricate mirrors. A workmanship of bracelets, ornaments, uh, the use of paint, beautifying of the eyebrows, use of stones, and every valuable uh, select kind, and all sorts of dyes. And then there's Amor, Amors, sorry, Amazak, uh, taught sorcery, witchcraft, and uh, dividers of roots. And it just goes on and on about, you know, all these different signs of the earth, signs of the sun, signs of the moon, different uh, uh, of the watchers taught these uh for, these were all forbidden um, skills for human beings to have, apparently. Yeah, yeah and par- I think partially because we, we couldn't handle it. You know, we've talked a little bit about that. Like, we didn't have the maturity to be able to handle these things. Some of them, maybe on their own, aren't necessarily evil, but they're, they're uh, again, they're, they're the thousand horsepower you know, supercar, uh, on the, on the kid's 16th birthday. Like that's not a good idea, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting too. The, um, you, you think about like how God is, is dealing with all of these false gods and how they're corrupting his chosen people and all of this stuff. He's dealing with this all through the old Testament. And then Jesus comes to, to Mount Hermon to plant his flag in the transfiguration Basically saying, "Look, I'm here, and I'm I'm taking the nations back, and it all st- like all of this, all this false gods and false worship came from that Genesis six event. You know, it wasn't just somebody said, "I'm going to carve a carve a idol, looks like fun, and make it my god." Like it all came from that. Just incredibly significant."
Uh, yeah, so that's kind of how they think of it. It's like when Jesus goes up there, he's like planting his flag and saying, like, I'm taking this territory back. I think there's a, a really interesting timeline, too, and I've never heard, heard anyone kind of summarize the Bible this way, but as we're learning about it from, like, Mike Kaiser with Unseen Realm and uh, Reversing Hermann, Book of Enoch, there's this there's this idea of, uh, you know, the nations being divided at the Tower of Babel, right, scattered, and then um, Deuteronomy 32 God chooses Israel for himself, and he and then he puts the other gods over the other nations. The so these are these are his holy ones. Apparently, these are you know. This is the question I keep wrestling with: is were these uh, angelic beings um, good or bad at that time? Mike Heiser says they became corrupted, and if I ever get a chance to ask him, I wanna <laughs> I wanna pick his brain about. How did that happen? Because we know about like Satan and third of the angels and some of these things and Mount Hermon event. I want to know when these angels went bad. But anyway, so then, so then you have the division of these nations with the other gods over them, and then you have you know them trying to corrupt Israel, and then you got the holy wars against the Nephilim infested tribes, which after Joshua died. They kind of lost their steam and stopped trying to kick butt against these uh, these giant tribes. And then, lo and behold, no surprise, they start worshiping their gods because they let them live. And it's just a snare. And then it's, yeah. And then, so that's, again, reversing Hermon. That's what Mike's book is about is when Jesus came, it isn't just to remedy the fall in the garden and give humanity a way to be saved but it's also to re- reverse uh, the damage of this Mount Hermon event. So as, as Christ uh, is, as he glorifies himself um, and basically plants his flag there, do you, do you think that uh, Christ had multiple different intentions uh, for his glorification at that point? Um, because also um, to plant, to plant his flag, he wouldn't necessarily needed to bring uh, his three disciples, the three of the disciples up, up the mountain as well. And I'm just kind of wondering um, if there's multiple dimensions and multiple facets of everything that Christ did um, that made, you know, made movement in spiritual realms, made movement on earthly realms and things like that at the same time. I, I would say that's highly probable just in the way that God does things with multiple layers of meaning, and there's often more to a story or a verse in the Bible than than on the, the on the face, right on the surface. You know, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, the glory of kings to search it out. So I think there's there's deep meanings in all of that. People say, why did he bring Peter, James, and John? I guess that was his inner circle, maybe his, you know, his his inner circle of his disciples, um, but then also obviously to be a witness to that event and to record it. Um, but yeah, even when he uh, descends to Sheol, uh, when he's crucified, and it's the Bible says he's speaking to the spirits in darkness, that's the watchers. He's saying, look, 
you see me here as if I'm dead like you uh, or chained up or whatever and lost. No, I'm taking the keys. I'm taking it all back. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the Goonies. This one's mine. I'm taking it back. I'm taking them all back. You know, my, uh, my, my mother used to, when we would talk about that specific verse, she always thought and or hoped that that was Christ going down to preach to the people who didn't believe in him and then giving him a sec, giving them all a second chance. Now, I, I don't think that that's scriptural. Uh, I wish it was. Yeah. Um, but purgatory uh, almost, huh? Yeah. Maybe something kind of like that. Yeah. Um, but so when, when you're talking about, uh, the, uh, angels that were in darkness or in chains of darkness or whatever, um, can you kind of uh, open up a little bit more about the uh, about what Christ maybe was talking to them about? Because you you had mentioned something like um, that he was taking back taking back the uh, the keys, if you will, like you were saying. So I've just kind of missed a little bit of what you were saying there. Yeah, I have to go to the scripture to to refresh my memory on it here. So. Um... Google is so great for lazy Bible people because we don't have to remember where it is. We can just find it. Is it Second Peter? Well, Second Peter references um, <clears throat> the angels in, in darkness that are chained up. Um, that's the only time in the Bible we get that word Tartarus, which is like the abyss. It's like the worst, worst spot to be. Well, there's the Nicene Creed that says descended into hell. Right, that's in there. Jesus, okay, here we go. So, Jesus indeed descending into the depths of hell since the Apostles' Creed confesses this, and most importantly, Scripture, uh, particular 1 Peter 3.19, 4, six, uh Psalm 16.10, Ephesians 4.9. All right, so it's not in the Gospels. Uh, it's probably Peter mentioning it. So let's look up 1 Peter 3, 19 and 4, 6. There we go. That's the one. You were on the right tra track, Don. It is in Peter. Okay. In in 1 Peter... Um, I think the first reference you made was uh, three, three nineteen. Sorry, what was it? Three nineteen, and uh, let's see. By which also he went and preached into the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. And so is that talking also about everybody in, all, in humanity that didn't get on the ark, or is it just talking about um, the... That's a good question, but I'm, I'm going to say that it's probably most specifically talking to these spirits that were disobedient, um... Main, mainly the the watchers is the way I would read it, but I think you might be able to extend it to to more than that because of the days of Noah being how wicked 
just about everybody was. But I, I think well, it's, and, yeah. Yeah, and it says specifically preached unto the spirits in prison. And so maybe that's more of a tie into uh, what we're talking about. Yeah, I think it is, especially when you get to Second Peter and he spells it out even more clearly. Um, the angels that sin that are kept in chains of darkness, that language coming right from Mesopotamian material and from Enoch. Um, so there's, yeah, there's no way of getting around that biblically. You can't call that like, you know, Satan's fall or a third of the angels. Like the language used there is very specific to the story of Genesis 6 and Enoch, how it kind of fleshes that out. That's kind of his his victory lap, as I think some people have called it. He's he goes down to Sheol and uh, and says, uh, "I'm taking it back, man. You guys, uh, you guys aren't going to win." Interesting too that the name Jared and Jordan come from the same etymology, meaning to go down or descent. In Enoch, again, it says First uh, Enoch six six. They were in all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. Um, so, yeah, very similar. The That's why, like, when we say the days of Noah, we're referring to Jesus' quote. But I guess when, you, when we talk about Genesis 6 and it says there were giants on the earth in those days, that, those days, I believe, is more specifically referring to the days of Jared because it was during his lifetime that that happened. It's the way I understand it anyway. Um, okay, so getting into some of the reasons that Ryan Peterson in his book thinks that it was the Jordan River that this event took place. Um, and a lot of this is circumstantial, but you guys see what you think of it. So he says, in the Bible, we rarely have angels mentioned near mountains, but very often near water or specifically rivers like in Ezekiel uh the prophet the prophet witnessing a portal to heaven opened and four angelic beings descending on earth near the river Chabar um in Daniel 10 uh the great river called Hiddekel uh is another name for the eastern branch of the Tigris uh, another great river in scripture the Euphrates where the four apostate angels are currently a prison imprisoned so we have the those four angels coming out in the book of Revelation. Uh, the four angels were loosed. Um, let's see. Then you have, if you guys remember, the the cripple who was by the water, and they believe that if when the angel troubled the water, if the first person that went in there would get healed. So again, angels and water. Um, yeah, so he brings up just a lot of examples of, of how it's rivers and water that are the site of angelic and divine manifestations. And I and I I have to gently correct uh, Ryan in his book because he he makes this statement: no significant biblical events took place at Mount Hermon. So let's leave aside Genesis six and say we don't know for sure because it's Enoch that says that, right? Well, he's completely missing the transfiguration because it's highly likely, even though the Bible doesn't specifically say it, that that is where that took place. Um, okay, and then going on, uh, the many, many Nephilim giant nations that appeared after the flood all set up their kingdoms in proximity to the Jordan. 
uh, considering the numerous, numerous supernatural events that occurred there. Scripture provides much more evidence the Jordan River was the likely location for the Genesis 6 invasion than Mount Hermon, as the Book of Enoch suggests. Um, and then he calls the Jordan River is kind of the Roswell, New Mexico of the Bible in terms of the sheer number of supernatural encounters that took place in its waters or adjacent to it. Uh, scriptural evidence suggests the angels chose to de descend, manifest, and live near rivers. And the name of the river also lends credence that it was the landing spot, because again, Jordan means descent. Uh, why else would Moses and the Hebrew people call a well-known river Jordan, which means they're going down or descent, unless there was a famous descent there? So again, I mean, it's so close in proximity, it, the Jordan starting at its base, you know, and Hermon meaning, you know, curse or oath. Um, yeah, there's just so much etymology tied to that in, in what these words mean. But then here's a thought I had. So what if good angels and how God typically uses rivers supernaturally, but, but since the gods were counterfeit, they used a mountain to signify their importance. And again, mountains and pyramids associated with the gods. So I don't know. Maybe that's maybe rid of rivers is how God uses things for the good guys. The bad guys like to use mountains. I don't know. Maybe to elevate themselves higher than God if they are trying to do that. Yeah. And mountains were, uh, Mike Heiser talks a good bit about this, how uh, mountains and gardens are associated with the gods. Because where is it a hard place to go to? And, you know, a garden being you have no want of food, you've got everything you need, the weather's great. Yeah, this is where the gods would live. Obviously, they would live on a mountain where I can't get to. They would live in a lush garden with plentiful everything. So I think there's a, there's a tie-in to all of that, too. I think that's about all I had on that one. Um... How did the Nephilim return after the flood? I think that's something if we if we do choose to go through Ryan's book, I think that would be a a good one to to talk about because he gets into his his theory that it came through Ham, which uh, Noah's grandson Canaan is the one that got cursed, if you remember. Um, which interesting interestingly enough, um, I just finished re listening to Ryan's book, and I think it was in there that he said that. Maybe the reason Noah cursed him is because maybe he was polydactyl. Maybe uh, Canaan actually had six six fingers on each hand, so he knew that he was, uh, you know, uh, uh, genetically uh, impure. Um, well, I think it was yeah. Dr. Laura Sangler um, that suggested with some of the Nephilim traits that it wasn't just a gazing or a glance that ham did it was it was a sexual act that was a perversion um and those were some of the traits that she put in the category of nephilim traits that if you're committing human sacrifice or if you're committing these vile acts of of uh, against your body or you know against somebody else 
um, it could be sexual or, or not. Um, it, it was, it was leading you down a path that could change you. Right. You know, you're opening yourself up to the enemy. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. And I think and, you're onto something there. Um, because now this is, I had to wrestle with this too, because the way the wording of that story goes, it says he saw Noah's, his father's nakedness. And you're like, okay, he saw him naked. And then maybe he's kind of snickering about it to his brothers. And it's like, come on, have some respect. You know, it's, we're kind of, that's the kind of the idea that we're given about his sin. Well, Doug Van Dorn talks about, there's a lot more going on there. And if you look in Leviticus to uncover one's of to uncover a father's nakedness literally means to sleep with your mother. So it's likely that that phraseology is being used the same way it is in the Levitical law and that it's not what we think it is. He didn't just see him drunk and naked that he did this act and that's what it meant. That's, that's literally a euphemism for that act. Um, so yeah, I think you're you're right on the right track there, Luke. That there was a lot more going on in his iniquity, and that would explain, you know, okay, he qualified to be on the ark, but in his willful disobedience, in his sin, he opened up his the sins of the forefathers, right? Because Old Testament, all there is is the covering for sin and atonement for sin. There wasn't the forgiveness, the washing, you know? So it was the sins that were committed were the consequences of them were much more dire. Um, so if he took that step and then was on top of that cursed by his father and the power of blessings and curses, uh, especially back then, I mean, there's powerful today, but even back then, um, it was like a double whammy, you know, and and then and then you so then then his his uh, his, his children were started off in that situation, and then they commit their own sins and stuff. So it just the sin snowball or the iniquity force just grew, and then eventually, what do we have? Nimrod. Nimrod. It's incredible to see how. One patriarch, one father, the sin ripple ripple effects to, you know, nations of millions that become, you know, huge forces of evil on the earth. Uh, yeah, especially when you're starting out with, you know, literally eight people left alive. But yeah, I... I'm really leaning towards that's the that's the source of the return of of Nephilim genetics. Um, that it was probably a recessive uh, epigenetic trait that Ham was carrying, and and some people have said, um, "Well, that's just totally capricious of God." I mean, he went to all the trouble of wiping out the giants, and then he's going to let it survive. No, I think he he wanted it to be gone, but he just like the tree in the Garden of Eden, he left the possibility that if he went down this path of iniquity, it would get restarted again. So it was kind of it was kind of a free will thing, I think, that that God kept it alive. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't know 
the jury's still out on the genetics part of it. Yeah. But the free will aspect is, is, is definitely, um, in play. Um, cause that's, that's ongoing, you know, that's the, that's the human story of, uh, of choices and consequences and reaping what you sow and right and you know you look at king david yeah he was a murderer but you know he he humbled himself he got repentance uh apply uh, he was uh, received um forgiveness and by his actions uh, you didn't stay in that mode of pride um so yeah it's uh it, it, I think it can affect your genetics if you stay one way or another, because I think there's plenty of scriptures you could study on on how it affects your health. You know, um, whether you're stay, you're staying in sin or you're pursuing holiness, even with all the struggles that you have, you know, there's blessings in the pursuit, and. Uh, and maybe that's what happened with Ham and that lineage right there and those few generations before Nimrod is there was no repentance. There was no following after uh, Jehovah. Yeah, so, um, so it, build, it built up, like I think you've talked about or, or Laura Sanger's talked about, right? Where it's a, it's a force right. that is compounded uh, by those decisions. Yeah, and I think of, right. I think of even, uh, you know, Moses for... for for how he was used by God, and then in that one point, you know, he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. Nope, you're not going into the promised land. It's like, yeah, it's it's incredible how how much effect these things have. But then, like you said, David's sin huge, and yet God's always willing to take us back in his in his love and his discipline uh, is for his children out of love. Well, that's a good place to uh, to wrap up, I think, for now. And then um, we'll have to talk about what we want to get into next. Uh, maybe maybe Ryan's book. Maybe um, maybe Laura Sanger's book. Maybe uh, Reversing Hermon would be good. So we can we can chat about that and figure that out. But um, yeah, and then we're, I think we're gonna shoot for February nineteenth to get uh, Jed Payne on here. So. That'll be a lot of fun. I'm gonna I'm try to think of a few things um, to kind of talk about for his story and stuff. But uh, I think we'll have a lot in common with the Louisiana thing and him being a, a drummer and stuff. So yeah. All right. Well, good deal, y'all. All right, man. All right. Well, until next time. Have a great week. been listening to the days of noah podcast thanks for tuning in again this week we really appreciate it don't forget to like to share to subscribe send it to your family and friends and if you guys have any questions for us anything you want us to cover or anything you want us to go into greater detail about or or look into uh feel free to shoot us a message at the days of noah podcast at gmail.com 
looking forward to being with you again next week. Until then, God bless. Have a good week.